0: There is no reason, no place to call home When you're lost in the city, the city you've been living What is the question? Well, there's no answer Not even a meaning at all It's a city where we
1: reside It's not a place you can hide it's bright
2: welcome to our podcast. This is Dave Gajdardar, your host of Resultant Group. Uh, in a series of podcasts, uh, calming the fears of the unknown and also moving organizations to through recovery and sustainability. Joining us today in our podcast, we have uh, Suzanne Lea and uh, Melissa Liang from Geca Enviro in Montreal. Good morning, and uh, welcome, Melissa. Welcome, Suzanne. Hi. Thank you. How are you folks doing Thank this morning? You.
1: Great. I'm doing great.
2: How are you? Great. Excellent. Um, Suzanne and Melissa, do you mind introducing yourselves and what you guys do and your role within the company before we get into our discussion as far as these emerging technologies and uh, opportunities for moving towards uh, renewable and transition to alternate sources of energy? So who would like to go first? Okay. Uh, okay hi,
0: I'm Suzanne. Um, Suzanne Ara from Jeka Environment. Uh, I'm the CEO of the company. I started the company five years ago, uh, following about thirty years of work in uh, in the environment. Uh,
2: great. There, Melissa.
1: Uh, my name is Melissa Lang. I work at Jeka with Suzanne. I am actually responsible for business uh, development, and I do some work also as a junior consultant. Um, and, uh, yeah, we work uh, mostly in the pyrolysis uh, field, and I think we're going to talk a bit more about that today.
2: That's right. Um, one of the things as we go forward is, for our listeners' perspective, is what is pyrolysis? And uh, we know that there is a difference between pyrolysis, combustion, and incineration, but I think for our listeners, I think if you guys could give us a quick summary of what that is so we can continue the discussion and share the information and how this is beneficial as we go forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Dave. That's a really good question because pyrolysis gets confused so often with incineration and combustion, and the processes are a bit different. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but basically um, incineration is a typical typically a type of combustion that is operated at really high temperature, um, and combustion entails that there is an entrance of oxygen in a high-temperature system that leads to a flame. Um, in pyrolysis, we do not have oxygen interest or very little. So it prevents actual combustion, which is the process of happening. Rather, it carbonizes what's inside. Uh, So it's also called carbonization. It has other um, nicknames uh, or other names in general, but it is different from incineration. And um, it's very important point to make when talking about this type of process.
2: Yeah, you know, one of the things that as you move forward is where's the business opportunity for pyrolysis, I and mean, we're looking at how does it support other initiatives and uh, technologies as it move forward. Because for most people, when they hear the term pyrolysis, they're not sure exactly where it fits and how does it support the overall transition with the with the um, emerging alternate sources of uh, energy.
1: Yeah. That's also a very good question, of course. Uh, I think the first thing to understand is that pyrolysis is very versatile. There are different types of technology out there that can um, take different types of inputs. Some inputs, we even talk about plastics, uh, well, residual plastics, residual tires, for example, residual biomass, or even things like contaminated biomass, carbon fiber. So it has a really large um, range of inputs. Um, And therefore, it makes it very interesting in different industries. Um, So you asked about its role in, you know, the context of zero waste, and that is really to valorize residues of all types, uh, not not necessarily all at the same time, but through a process that is known as pyrolysis. So we make products that are valuable through this process in different industries, in different situations, and we use these products. As inputs actually um, in other industries are the same to really implement a circular economy.
2: Okay, so where's your source material coming from and what is the actual output of this technology and industry of pyrolysis?
1: Yeah, well, you know, we can talk about really a bunch of different industries. Uh, The import, as I mentioned, can be can go from you know contaminated plastics to tires to biomass. I think it's important to understand that pyrolysis is not a miracle solution. I think it should be actually a complement to other types of recycling to make sure that together all our residues are are reused. They are valorized. So uh, we talk about tires, we talk about biomass a lot, and contaminated plastic, those that can't be recycled. And the types of output that we can get are generally gases, liquids, and uh, solids. But it would always depend on the input and the technology that we're using. Um, In gases, we mainly talk about energetic gases, which in in contrast with combustion, um, it's not not CEO coming out mainly of there. It is, as I mentioned, just energetic gases that can be reused. Um, and when it comes to liquids, depending on the feedstock, things like plastics and tires will give it a lot of liquids that can be reused, uh, after in other different industries, such as the chemical industry, the energy industry. Uh, some people use it to make NAFTA to remake plastics out of, you know, old plastics. Right. And then we come to, uh, things that are also liquid like wood vinegar that's used in agriculture note that wood vinegar comes mainly from biomasses and when you talk about the last part of the output which is the solid output uh it is known it has different names depending on its properties depending on its origin that is the feedstock some of it if it comes from plastic for example or tires will be called carbon black When it comes from biomass, it's generally called biochar or char. Um, And you will sometimes uh, have a mix with some types of ashes, uh, but sometimes not. And all these products are so variable in their physical chemical properties that the range of markets it can be applied to is, extremely large and the range of industry it can go in is also extremely large
2: so what's keeping this technology from becoming more mainstream
0: um, one of the things that happened in the past is that like um, well in early uh, 90s um, uh, with a world War one and World War two uh, we were using uh, paralysis to make oil and energy but those technology were quite Dirty, if I can say that they they were not recycling their gases, and over time, then the uh, the science e- evolved and really increase the yield that we can get from the, re- the from the residues, and also recycle everything, every energy and gases within the process, so that it makes it um, an industry that is super clean, but it's still some of the um, all um feeling the people think either it's um it's gonna pollute uh all the people think also that uh, the technology is not ready yet but the technology is mature uh, for a whole bunch of uh, different transformation but it, that there is this feeling that uh, the technology is not necessarily mature because we we see every single month a new technology coming out um, but there are some technology that are all there for thirty years that work very well. So that's uh, two uh, two aspects that uh, prevent from a uh, good development of the paralysis. But we have to know that the paralysis is developing very well in India, in China, in other countries. Um, uh, maybe a less frequent in Canada because it requires a lot of investment because our technology in Canada are so clean. Um, but it's, uh, it's uh, developing pretty good right now, actually.
2: Right. and uh, You know, one of the things that uh, we also have to caution our listeners about is that the fact that, yes, they are emerging in new technologies, but there are also technologies that will form the foundation for resource optimization, reuse, and, and repurposing. And pyrolysis sounds to be one of these technologies. We will always see things emerging and, and moving through the maturity life cycle, but with uh, technology like paralysis, based on what you're telling me and what I've read, is there's a lot of opportunity to be used on it. Although there is a, a barrier to um, a barrier to introduction or adoption because of cost, but there's a lot of uh, paralysis organizations or op- opportunities in Canada. We also know that taking um, Things like plastics uh, used tires, biomass, and multiple products to reuse. And uh, using different technologies to apply it will help us move towards that, what I will call the spiral economy, not so much circular, because not everything could be circular. However, that being said, we need to find ways of optimizing our resources. And this is one technology that would help us get us on that path. So as we transition towards... Uh, zeroing target of uh, mitigating waste and also optimizing resource use and using resources as many times as possible. What are some of the so- short-term solutions and how do we try to get to as efficient and as resource... Uh, what I would use the word is uh, optimizing how we use resources that or extractive resources or plastics or anything that's manufactured, how do we use it many times and how do we reuse it without trying extracting more raw material to support this process? So what's some of the short term goals and some of the uh, the transitionary considerations that we need to think about?
1: I think Dave you raised really good points. It's about a short and medium term solution because ultimately on long term you wanna Stop using, you know, extracted resources, uh, fossil resources, and when we talk about pyrolysis, a lot of people will think, "Oh, you know, you're you're um, supporting the extraction of more resources because at the end of the day, you're going to use them in your system." But the truth is, and that's what we believe at Jeca is that pyrolysis is a short and medium term solution until we stop using all those fossil resources. It is a solution to dealing with our waste problem for now. And when I say medium term, you know, we're probably gonna talk about 30, 40 years. It's not tomorrow that we're gonna stop using plastic and probably 50 years. But in the long run, we're not using pyrolysis to justify our utilization of fossil resources. But rather, we are using it to fix a, or fix or deal with a waste problem.
2: Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things that we see. I mean, products is not the enemy, as we know. Plastics is not the enemy. I think it's how oh, we deal with it and how we manage it. Taking an example of what's happening during this pandemic, if it wasn't for single-use plastics, or we probably wouldn't be able to contain it as fast as we could. So. The question comes from my mind is how we can leverage technologies such as pyrolysis to help us reuse these products that's life-saving and also help us with the quality of life in the medical and human services sector. Because if we start painting these products as, as negative, we also have to look at the opposite question and say what benefits they're providing and then ask ourselves, if we can manufacture it, how can we reprocess it? And what are some of the technologies we can use? And I think what you what you both are saying is that paralysis is one avenue that will help us do this. and ha- and then we have to ask ourselves that how do we get industries and communities and municipalities involved in understanding the process?
0: Um, yeah, the the process may uh, may look a little bit uh, difficult for uh, cities and municipalities and individuals to understand. Uh, because uh, the recycling industry is is very uh, net uh, it has a very large network and everything is a network one to another, so it's really a circular economy. so when the, um, the residue arrive to a recycler then it, it, um, it, it separates the different components and it sent to uh, different industry what can be recycled directly. Uh, let's say a a plastic that is pure, it can be uh, uh, remold and uh, they, they can do again auto product with this plastic um the and then for example when we do a uh, compost because the biomass uh, let's say from restaurant or whatever it is um it's it's not good they trash it and then they compost it but for the preparation for the composting or for uh biomethanization require a preconditioning and in this preconditioning we remove the plastic, and we remove all kind of things that are in there. And then with this food, they make compost and, they may, and then they prepare more food. And then from what they extracted, then we transform them to plastic to heat, let's say, the water that will go to the biomethanization. So at the end, everything could be Recycle and reuse, and paralysis can be just one part of the solution and a part that is collaborating with other solutions like biomethanization and composting and um, recycling of pure plastic and those kind of things.
2: Yeah, when you talk about recycling and the collaboration, one of the things that uh, puzzles me uh, is the fact that we don't have a consistent mechanism to connect the dots across the recycling players and the municipalities because they all are interconnected and we depend on each other so that we could move and, and uh, realize the best outcome for the products and the excess materials that we have. You know, as we go through, we see organizations working in silos. they all sharing their successes by themselves. but. The system, the ecosystem doesn't work like that. It has to be interconnected and it has to be shared and because the interdependencies is critical to success. And continuing in silos is not going to get us there. So how does industries work and move from silos and also share successes while supporting and not competing negatively with each other?
1: You raise such good points, Dave, but I guess that's why you're the host of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's true. Industries, they work in silos and collaborations in the development of new services, new products, new avenues for reuse and recycling. It's so important. And one of the examples that Suzanne just did with um, either recycling or composting is the type of thing that we want to see in the industry. But I think that one of the root problems that goes into the silo work, if I could call it, is that everyone is under the impression that if they share their ideas, someone else is gonna steal their money. And either you know by stealing their project or by copying their project, they're gonna lose a market. And we have seen in the past that getting an industry to, get, to work together to promote the whole industry together, for example, with solar panels, it works way better to get an industry out there known and um, prolific if i could say you know the, the solar industry they, they started working together they raised awareness together they educated the masses together and the government by the way um, and they got to this point where today you know solar energy is 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 renewable now there's all you know the e-waste talk But at the end of the day, people consider it renewable, and people are aware that these solutions exist. In the pyrolysis industry, that has yet to be done because everyone seems to work in silos. Everyone wants a success without giving their competitors or their neighbors the same success that they have. But I I personally think that this is just uh, preventing the industry from growing further and I, I, Suzanne go ahead I think
0: you had something to say about yeah it. <laughs> uh, yeah I agree with you Melissa uh, that's one point but um, as as the industry is uh, is becoming more mature uh, we can see more and more collaboration between uh, technology a paralysis technology and paralysis um, you know a producer uh, with uh, different technology as we have worked for example with um, uh, landfilling company uh, working with a paralysis company to uh, to decrease the the residues that they landfill because their landfill we close too early. we have seen uh, now it's 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 starting now we can see collaboration between organization where uh, the paralysis system is used to uh, to transform the residues that that, that cannot be uh, transformed uh, elsewhere and is used to heat uh, the water for the biomethanization and other places like that where we can see that you know the, the paralysis uh, people do also um, uh, pre-treatment of the biomass uh, to make electricity in gasification system. So it's it's becoming more and more current, and people understand more and more Than working together with different part of the residues, different type of radi- residue that one can treat and the other cannot, then it make a whole process uh, more efficient financially and also. Um, yeah. Well,
2: one of the things that puzzles me again, you know, I mean, I, obviously I'm using this word over and over, but it, it it's really strikes me as it needs to be. A role, a, a role that government plays in bringing these players together, especially when you start looking at the provincial and the municipal levels, because there's a responsibility in diverting things from landfill. There's also a responsibility for reuse, and there's also a responsibility for m- mitigating emissions and energy regeneration. So we have all these great technologies being developed in Canada across the board and being used everywhere, but the regulators and the... Uh, Political leaders don't seem to get a grasp of what it takes to and their role in facilitating the process to make sure it's all connected and works towards that closed loop environment, if you want to call it that. What's holding us back? Like, why? What are we, What is it going to take to inform our leaders that they have a critical role to support? Not necessarily financially, that's a separate discussion, but even the mechanism of keeping it connected. Like, what? What's holding us back?
1: We just need more people like you, Dave. <laughs> we need more educators. The fact is that the government, they've branded pyrolysis, in, in some government, I'd say provincial and state-wise, um, they've branded pyrolysis as incineration, like I was saying earlier. And that's one big problem because they don't include pyrolysis in their, their list for you know uh, dealing with residues. Um, and that has to be amended in provincial and state and federal government so that the people who are at the EPA, the people who are at the, the Canadian EPA, if I could say, they need to know that this is not the same thing as incineration. Uh, we don't have the same products as incineration. And on the other hand, there must be, you know, regulations enforced, uh, sorry, not regulations enforced, but I say regulations put in place to Support those projects, as you said. On a state level slash provincial level, it is important, I think, and that's a point that Suzanne and I discussed yesterday. It's important um, to limit cities that own landfill from blocking such projects because they don't want their. Uh, income from landfill being decreased. So we've seen that a lot, you know, we're we're in the Quebec province, I know we're black sheep of uh, America almost, but we've seen here in the province of Quebec that certain cities are so, you know, they're making so much money off of their landfill that they own that they don't want to necessarily support or encourage the establishment of such projects in their region because it would take away part of their profit. Uh, but, on the opposite, we believe that cities should invest in those projects so that they can you know share part of the profit um with you know the project developers and investors in there so that's one of the roles that I think municipalities should should have, and that state should look over if I can say um there are there are different also you know aspects that Counties, municipal governments have to help uh, project developers with if they want a successful project. And one big part of that is facilitating access to land.
0: Go ahead, Suzanne. Yes, yeah, there is another point that we, um, we don't often discuss. And because in Canada, oftentimes it has a negative connotation, it's lobbying. Lobbying, um, since the uh, paralysis industry is not organized into uh, an official an, an official industry, like the mining industry or let's say the gas and petrol industry, then there is no lobbying uh, protecting um, and favoring. Um, the use of paralysis across Canada. So that's one of the things that uh, the, it's uh, decreased its impact and, and it doesn't bring into mind of the you know, regulator and decision maker and the government because if you don't have lobbyists, you don't hear about them, you don't hear about a paralysis project or paralysis technology as a solution, then you just forget about it. And they just don't put it in their regulation. They don't put it in the list of uh, acceptable projects, let's say, for for grant programs and those kind of things. So that's one of the things that the industry, that the paralysis, tariff action, gasification industry should do. It's uh, more lobbying and organizing itself into a very well recognize and organize uh, business.
2: You know, I, I think uh, to add to that, I'd like to, to point out that I think there's a level of education that also has to come with this to our regulators, because the ignorance is what's also putting up these artificial barriers. You know, Melissa, you yes. talked about the revenue side of it. But at the end of the day, if we are talking about reducing carbon footprint and our carbon emissions and environmental sustainability standards, and and move towards more SASB reporting criteria, we have to make those transitions and not look at revenue as the first decision point. The other side of it is, how does each technology support each other in the value chain towards resource uh, optimization? And I don't think we are hearing enough of that discussion because when you start looking at the the connectivity the connective tissue around industries and how they support the resource optimization i'm yet to hear that conversation and we need to start to have those conversations so you know going forward one of the things that we talked about is the revenue side of it but education not only in government but in across industry and all levels of decision makers is a sounds to me like it's a, a gap that needs to be closed. And we also have to demonstrate somehow how do we get the social and economic acceptability of the pyrolysis technologies in conjunction with other technologies to drive to the outcomes we desire.
1: Dave, I'd ask you that question. You're the expert in education. <laughs> how do we get this message out? Well
2: well there's well there's a couple of channels and I and I think we could discuss this on another show and you know, we can get how we can get the education and the messaging out and how we could bring the right people to the table to have these discussions and educate them as far as their role in, in in helping us connect the dots because that's critical. You know the other side of it is that the pressure not only goes to the regulators but it goes to the investors and we need to start looking at investments and how we use investment decisions and influence to let the industry look at things differently. You know we could talk about individual technologies, but the, you know, when you start looking thing, at things as a, as a matrix, as a mesh, working together for the best outcome, then we could mitigate sending trash to foreign countries for disposal. You know, we talk about recycling, and we talk about zero waste, and we talk about resource optimization, yet a high percentage of garbage collected goes to different countries for disposal, and we have the technology here to reuse that and create valuable feedstock for multiple industries. And these are things that we need to get to the forefront. You know, we could start putting taxes on everything, but if we don't do the right things in the back end, nothing changes other than money. So, looking at this whole structure, and uh, what would you how would you inform me and, and our listeners on what role they can play to help spread the word, get an understanding, or even a Come to us and tell us that what they'd like to know more about. What do? You, what are some of the things that we need to talk about?
0: <laughs> it's such a difficult question because we are not uh, we are not that specialized as you in the, in the communication. Um, I think that people the first thing that they have to know is that we do have solution for the very most very most of any residues that we cannot right now that people think or even recycler thing that we cannot recycle and that's one thing uh, the other thing is um, maybe uh, pushing some regulation to obligate the people to find solution and, and use let's say a very um Uh, 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 well-educated people on the subject to help them as uh, for example there there is uh, some of the bad works that come out from time to time from paralysis is because some of the technology, some uh, the company want to do transformation and then they don't choose the right technology and they say, well, it just doesn't work. Uh, it may not be the technology that doesn't work. You may not have chosen the right technology. So I think that getting out the word that there are some people that are knowledgeable out there that can help you to find the right technology for the right project, to, right, to find the right market, Uh, We are out there, we exist, and the outer consulting firm, that can also help. Uh, That's one of the things. And the other aspect is also to um, put a lot of tax or something like that. To repress the exportation of, um, of residue, let's say, for example, the textile, okay, uh, clothing and all those kind of things. Textile is really protected in Canada by two companies, uh, which I will not name, but uh, everybody know them. Uh, they just bring the, their clothes to this place and then they think it's going to be recycled and resold. But the very most of them is, is sent to Africa or other places like that uh, where it's uh, burned for energy so that they don't actually really recycle this, uh, this textile. And we do have technology to transform them, uh, keep the job in Canada rather than sending that elsewhere, uh, keep the job, keep the money, and uh, do good things with the textile that we cannot recycle and, and resell uh, for use again, uh, to you, Melissa. Yeah, yeah, I think that to come back to this question,
1: I think the the textile example is a really good, uh, example of something that the, old, the general population doesn't know what's happening when we talk about, you know, recycling and the life of textile. But to come back to the role of investors or you know, the role of our listeners on this podcast, it's important. And that's just not in pyrolysis uh context. It's important in general that future investments start internalizing internalizing costs of environmental and social impacts. And that's not really taken into consideration right now. I know that the the EU's new regulations um, on the environmental perspective, they want to integrate these aspects into um, into policy or welding floor policy. They want to internalize the cost of environment and social impact. And I think that's something we have to do here as well. You know, we've seen a lot of investors in the past two years, I must say, the past two years that are starting to look further than the immediate, you know, return on investment after two or three years. They're starting to look further to what is good for the people and what is good for our planet and you know right one goes with the other i think yeah. uh and and that's one of the thing that must change but you know we live in a capitalistic world so how can we you know put these things together to make sure that the return on investment is good on an economic perspective but it's also excellent on a societal and environmental perspective right. um and uh,
2: so that sounds to like an, so. so I, oh. Yeah. So that sounds like a, another topic that we need to explore further in, a, in another podcast because investors, <laughs> education, and advocacy towards under the, the umbrella of recycling. Because I think one of the problems that we have is recycling is a catch-all for a lot of things that people don't really understand what happens behind the scenes. So we need to start. Uh, we need to start taking that black box on the recycling and start making that a transparent cube. Who are the movers, players, and participants under the recycling umbrella? And what's the re- what's the outcome of each of those and how they connected? I think that's a conversation we need to have.
0: Yes, uh, I, <laughs> okay, go ahead. I say
1: yes, traceability, Dave. That's the word, traceability. And uh, yesterday I was talking with Suzanne, um, and, and Suzanne, you were talking about how We have to inform consumers of what happens when they recycle their material. What happens when they sort through plastic or through cardboard and they don't put it in the trash? What can we do with it? Because uh, for a lot of people, it's abstract, right? They just say, well, this is going in my blue bin, but what is actually happening? I don't believe in recycling. So we have to show them that these products actually have a useful life and you use it every day. So we have to um, make sure that private companies, you know, manufacturers are integrating these recycled products in their operation, which can be difficult on an economic perspective, you know, with uh, the low That's price right. of fossil. <laughs> That's another story. That's right. But There is a possibility for, for federal or, you know, state regulation at this level. And uh, for the u s listeners, I'm sorry, I know we talk a lot about you know uh regulations and how the state can help and can Canadians are just a lot more liberal, i guess in that in that sense um but for recycling product and ensuring that we're valorizing all these residues, I think that that's a really big step, and the states could also use that um it, even if it's not about you know actual grant for project or something else this type of regulation i think would be very beneficial in the same way that um there is a minimum you know percentage of renewable fuel and in certain types of fuel um i think it can be something similar to that
2: you know we can carry on this conversation for another two hours because it's such an interesting <laughs> topic and I'm just looking at the time here. Well, one of the things I would really like to do is you know wrap this up and uh, if you guys could just give our audience uh, what you would like to leave our audience with for Food for Thought and, uh, and then we'll follow up with another podcast in the coming weeks and months and uh, carry the conversation forward. So, what's your... What are the two th- or three things that you would like to leave for, with our audience today, and uh, we could follow up later on?
0: Uh, I think one of the thing maybe they want to uh, to keep in mind is that paralysis is one uh, among different solutions. It, it's not a com- it's not competition uh, with other uh, treatment. It's uh, it's a symbiosis. It could be a symbiosis with other. Uh, treatment of residues Uh, also uh, paralysis technology is mature and there are some markets out there for the products and the other thing is that I think that we really have to educate our people on on, uh, regulator investors and everybody people where uh, this uh, renewable product goes and with identification and all those kind of things.
2: Excellent, well, I'd like yeah. to thank you both for joining us today, and I know that uh, time is short, but uh, I would really like to invite you both back to ha- on a follow-up podcast so we could dig- explore and dig deeper into the regulatory process, the investment and the education side of it. And also, how do we involve partners and industry in the collaborative, in the connective tissue to make the industry more effective. So thank you both for joining us today. And
1: oh, thanks, uh, thanks for having us, Dave. It was a pleasure, and it will be a pleasure to talk with you again in our next podcast. And for our listeners, well, I want to thank you if you've been there this whole time. And if you have questions, um, you can email us. I think uh, it could be possible to provide an email or a link to our website. Uh, if you have question for the next podcast
2: that we could answer well thank you again both and appreciate it thank you ma'am.
0: what is the question well, there's no answer not even uh, the meaning it all
1: see where we reside is not a-